morning. This morning's scripture is in Luke 2, uh, verses 21 through 40. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Mark. I work for the Risen Collective, and my family and I go to Risen Northwest But we are very excited to be here with you all this morning, sharing the word. So last time I was here, I preached in May, and my family wasn't able to be here, but now they're able to be here with us. So if you see them, make sure that you introduce yourselves as well. We'd love to continue to get to know you all as we come up here more and more often. Well, let me pray and ask God's help as we open up his word together. Father, we do come before you this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we do ask that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. We ask that you would give us eyes to see more of who Jesus is as we open your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us the very thing that we need to hear this morning as we walked in to church. Lord, many of us have come hungry, ready to hear from your word. Many of us maybe don't even know why we're here, but... Lord, you know why we're here, and you have something to speak to us today, so we pray that you would. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, we all know what it feels like to wait for something. So our family just returned from a road trip to Tennessee, and it takes about 15 hours in the car to get to where we go in Tennessee. And our kids are great. They're awesome travelers. But when we go on a road trip like that, we have a couple rules. And rule number one is no one's allowed to say those fateful words, are we there yet? Because you know that as we begin to obsess over that question, are we there yet? It takes way longer when you're thinking about when you're actually getting where you want to get. And you probably remember that as a kid where you're waiting for Christmas or you're waiting for your friend to arrive. And as you're fixated on that moment coming, the time just drags on forever. It just takes forever for it actually to get there. And as adults, we wait. Waiting can be even harder. Maybe you're waiting for something fun like the release of a new movie or when your favorite artist comes into town. But maybe you're waiting to get results from a medical exam. Or maybe you're waiting to hear how, to, how a difficult conversation went that someone was having with a friend. We all know those excruciating moments where the waiting is actually harder than any of the news that comes. You might say, even if it's the worst possible scenario, just tell me the news because when there's all these different possibilities, the waiting is crushing me. So much of the Christian life is about waiting. And that's part of God's design. That God has set up the world in such a way where there's a certain good that can only come through when we wait. We see this principle at work in food. So I'm not a foodie, so I had to Google all this, but I learned a lot from the wisdom of Google. That if you want to make a really good chili, you need to let it simmer for two hours. That takes some patience. It takes a long time. You can't start making that chili when you're hungry if you're gonna let it simmer for two hours. Or if you wanna make a really good brisket, you need to marinate it for 12 to 24 hours. You really have to plan ahead if you're gonna make that meal. And once you start smelling it, then it takes even longer and it's even harder to wait as you're ready to enjoy it. Some of the best wines age for 20 years or sometimes much more than that. And maybe that's where you're at this morning in your Christian walk, that you feel like you've been waiting for things for five, 10, even 20 years. Whatever you're waiting for, and however long you've been waiting for it, I think that Jesus has something to say to us this morning about how we wait. And in our passage for today, we're introduced to two characters, Simeon and Anna, who are really good at waiting, and they're good examples for us. We see a picture of Simeon and Anna faithfully waiting for God to bring restoration to his people as they're under the thumb of the Romans. They're faithfully waiting, knowing that God has a plan, even though they don't know what the plan is. They know that he has a plan. And I would venture to say that learning how to wait with the right posture is one of the most spiritually formative things you can do as a Christian. But the right posture is key. And if you have kids, you know this. You know that when kids get tired of waiting, they start wiggling around, they start squirming, they start arching their back, they start whining. And you as the parent, you know that doesn't help one bit. They're trying to get some relief, but you know the minute they start squirming or whining, it's over. Because that posture is not going to help them in the waiting. It actually makes it worse. 
The right posture is key because unlike other things in life, waiting is something that's thrust upon us. There's no way you can, you can go through life without waiting. Doesn't matter how many time-saving devices we invent. Doesn't matter how many gadgets you can acquire for yourself. You're always going to have to wait in this life. There's some things in this life you can avoid, maybe like camping. There's some people who love camping and other people who absolutely hate camping. Wouldn't go camping to save their lives. And so the, the love camping people, they talk about the joy of camping and all that. And the people over here are just like, no, I'm not doing it. There's no way that you're taking me camping. Doesn't matter how many times they talk about those sunsets, they always remain avid endorsement. And that's okay. You can avoid camping if it's not your thing. But waiting is something that is thrust upon all of us. We can't avoid it. Whether it's getting stuck in traffic or waiting for something for years and years, we all have to wait. And so the question before us this morning is, how are you going to wait? How are you going to posture yourself as you wait? And I think Luke gives us some guidance here as he gives us these two examples of Simeon and Anna. So I want to start out by looking at the first verse of our passage, Luke 2, 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived by the womb, conceived in the womb. So this, key, this, this is key for our passage because the name Jesus, I actually mentioned this last time I was here too, the name Jesus means God will save. And that's the assurance that frames the entire passage, that the God-man's name is Jesus. He is a living, breathing declaration of his action toward our behalf. God will save. And so here's what this means for you in the waiting. God loves you. He loves you with all of himself. There's no way that God could love you any more than he loves you right now. Just let that sink in for a minute. There's no way that God could love you any more than he loves you right now. So if you're waiting for something and you don't have it yet, that means that God wants to do something in you while you wait. That whatever he's doing in you is ultimately more important than getting that thing that you're waiting for right now. God loves you so much that he's not giving that thing that you're waiting for. He's not giving it to you right now because he wants to do something in you as you wait for him. So will you receive what God is doing with humble faith or will you fight against the waiting process? Making a good wine, a good chili, a good brisket takes time, but it also takes the right environment. You have to get the temperature just right, otherwise the maturing and flavoring process won't work. If you get tired of waiting on your brisket so you turn up the temperature, you're gonna ruin it, you're gonna burn it. If the environment isn't right for your wine, you could wait 20 years and you still won't have a good wine. If you respond to waiting with the wrong attitude, you can end up jaded, bitter, and faithless. Maybe that's how you feel right now. And if that's you this morning, take heart. It's not too late. Here's the point. Here's the main point of this message from this passage, I think. Because of Jesus, you can wait with faith. Because of Jesus, you can wait with faith. 
Jesus came to earth. He was the living, breathing declaration of God's salvation. And maybe you don't see what you're waiting for right now. Maybe you can't fathom why things have turned out the way that they've turned out in your life. But instead of constantly asking God, are we there yet? We can trust that God is working things in us while we wait. So I have three points of encouragement from this passage for how to wait and how to wait well. Point number one, God reveals himself to ordinary people. God reveals himself to ordinary people. So this is the only time that the Bible ever mentions Simeon or Anna. They're not rising stars. Our culture values young people with lots of talent. There's magazine articles about 30 people under 30 that you really need to keep your eye on because these people are really going somewhere. And we love to follow people of notoriety, people with talent, people with money, whether it's Taylor Swift or Elon Musk or whoever it is. We love to follow those people because they're shaping our culture. They're shaping the world around us. And in first century Judaism, those influencers would have been the members of the Sanhedrin, these prominent leaders of the Jews, or it would have been other Pharisees or key leaders of the law, teachers of the law. And everybody would have thought that these religious leaders are the ones who really get life. They're the ones who are really shaping culture around them. But Luke shows us a different picture of who really understands life. Think about it. This is probably the first time that Jesus has entered into the temple. He's a baby and his parents are offering sacrifices. And Jesus, who's known as the living temple of God, has entered into the physical temple of God for the first time. These key aspects of God's redemption have all aligned, but no famous Jewish leader recognizes it. Luke doesn't record anyone in the Sanhedrin who pays attention to this poor family's baby. Both Simeon and Anna have eyes to see who Jesus is. Not the prominent religious leaders, but these old people who have faithfully been waiting for God for their whole lives. Every once in a while, I'll see a certain kind of post on social media. Maybe you've seen it too, where there's a famous violin player or cello player, and they, thousands of people come and watch their shows, watch them play music, and they pay hundreds of dollars to come and watch these people play. And then one night, They'll put on street clothes and go into the New York City underground subway. And they'll play their violin in a way that drew thousands, but everyone's just walking past them, oblivious to what greatness is right in front of them because of all the noise. Maybe a few people put a couple crumpled dollar bills in the violin case, but they've missed the greatness that's there. No one has ears to hear what is actually being played. It's just part of the noise. And that's what's happening with Jesus. But then there's Anna and Simeon. They've spent their lives waiting for the Lord. They have eyes to see Jesus when he enters the temple. Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. So he's waiting for the Lord. He's not willing to compromise to receive anything that's not from the Lord. Most other people, even the disciples later on, had false ideas of what the Messiah would be like, that he would be a strong warrior, that he would be able to overthrow the Romans. 
But that's not what Simeon sees. He sees a poor family and a helpless baby. And Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are poor. He quotes from the law that if you couldn't afford to bring a lamb to make a sacrifice, you could sacrifice two birds at the temple. And that's what Mary and Joseph do. So in our terms, Joseph and Mary would be rolling up to church in their 1995 Honda Civic, getting out of the car in secondhand clothing. No one would point at them and say, you got to keep your eye on these people. These people are really going somewhere. But not Simeon. Simeon takes one look at their child and he says, he's the one, he's the Messiah. He says, now I can die in peace because I have seen the one who will bring consolation to Israel. Simeon is waiting in faith. He's cultivated a life of faith where he knows that it won't be his physical eyes that show him consolation. It's gonna be the Holy Spirit. We get another picture of waiting for the Lord from Anna. We're told that she's a prophetess, that she too sees with the eyes of faith, not with her physical eyes. And she was married for seven years and then her husband died. And normally someone in her position, there's not many ways for a young woman to make money and provide for herself in the first century. So she would be looking for maybe a kinsman redeemer. She would be looking for someone else to marry to provide for her. But she says, That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to look to the Lord to be my provider. So day in and day out, for decades, she devoted herself to a life of worship, prayer, and fasting in the temple. Both Simeon and Anna serve as examples for what it means for us to wait well. They were waiting on the advent of God's Messiah. And now for us, we're on the other side of that advent. Jesus has already come, but we're waiting for Jesus to come back. But we're still waiting. And so we can posture our hearts like Anna and Simeon. They never would have made the 30 under 30 list. They didn't write a best-selling book. They weren't influencers. But Luke puts them forward as examples of people who have eyes to see when Jesus shows up. I think Eugene Peterson described discipleship exactly right when he called it a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Yes, there are ups and downs, but it's a long, faithful obedience that's generally going in the right direction. Every day, Anna went to the temple to worship and pray, waiting for God to send his Messiah. Simeon spent his life letting God shape his heart in the waiting. Each day came and went, and they didn't give up. They didn't find something else to hope in that would be easier. They followed the path of a long obedience in the same direction. Point number two of encouragement for us in the waiting. God's salvation is worth waiting for. So I'm a World War II history buff. I love studying World War II history, have been since I was in high school. And one of the things that gripped me was that when I was in high school was reading Stephen Ambrose's book, Band of Brothers. And so this is about the 101st Airborne Division that goes and storms Normandy Beach and gets into France and then goes all the way to Germany. It's an amazing story. But the thing I loved about that is where it started, where they were training. So they trained, that division trained in Tekoa Falls, Georgia. And right by their training camp, there's a mountain called Currahee. And Currahee 
was a mountain where it had a trail going three miles up and then three miles back down. And every day, the 101st Airborne Division would run Kurahi. They'd run three miles up and three miles down. And just a few years ago, they actually opened up Kurahi to the public, where now you can go run Kurahi if you are a glutton for punishment. So me and a friend decided that we were going to go do that. We were going to go run Kurahi. So we go down there and we start running and it's summer and it's hot and it's miserable. And we've been running for uphill for what feels like five miles. And I'm about to die. I feel like there's no way that this thing is three miles. This has got to be seven miles. And there's no way that I'm going to make it. So finally, I convinced my friend, I just need to stop. I just need to stop and rest and catch my breath for a little bit. So we stop and rest. And then when it's time to start again, we, we just get going and then we round the corner and guess what we see? The summit. There it was. And I was maybe 300 meters back this way trying to catch my breath when I was this close to finishing. Part of the challenge of waiting for the Lord is that there's all kinds of easier paths out there. I turned aside for instant relief instead of staying the course. And that's the temptation for us in the Christian walk is to find a path of release, to find a path that's easier instead of staying the course and waiting for the Lord to come, waiting for the Lord to provide. There's all kinds of distractions to make you stop running the race. We might call these spiritual counterfeits. These counterfeits promise to give you what you're looking for while skipping the process of waiting for the Lord. And we end up missing what God is doing in the waiting process. This reminds me of the story of Saul and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 13. So if you remember the story, Israel was engaged in war against the Philistines and Saul was king and Samuel was kind of the spiritual Director, the spiritual guide, the judge during this time. And then Saul, Samuel tells Saul to wait for seven days. And then Samuel would meet him to offer the sacrifice. And let me read this from 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 8. What happens? He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So notice here, there's even spiritual language connected with Saul's excuses. So the people are scattering and he thinks he has to move. Samuel hasn't come, but he says that he doesn't want to go out without the Lord's favor. 
as if disobeying, but doing this sacrifice is going to give him the Lord's favor. But he spiritualizes his disobedience. It's easy for us to blame Saul and for his rash actions, but how many times do we do the same thing? How many times when we're waiting for God's deliverance do we give up on waiting and then we spiritualize our own disobedience? So, so maybe life is hard and stressful and you feel like you need some kind of release. So you go to food or drink or shopping or entertainment or whatever it is that feels like it gives you that release but it actually distracts you from what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're feeling relational tension with someone, maybe even someone in the church, and you need to go and reconcile with that brother or sister. But instead of going and having that hard conversation with them, you end up going and talking about that person behind their back. You end up gossiping about them. Maybe even clothed under the language of a prayer request. We're spiritualizing our, our spiritual counterfeits that we use. Simeon and Anna stand as a stark contrast to Saul. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Simeon and Anna can see God's salvation coming, not in a change of circumstance, but in the person of Jesus. Though God's salvation is different than what they thought, it's actually more amazing than they could have ever dreamed. Look again at what Simeon says in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 29. He says, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. God has prepared salvation for all people, not just for the Jews. This salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. God didn't save the Jews by crushing the Romans. God saved the Jews by sending Jesus to come and be condemned by Jew and Roman alike so that he might extend salvation to the whole world. That was God's plan. That was worth waiting for. The consolation of Israel doesn't mean crushing the nations, but saving them. Waiting for God's salvation is better than any counterfeit solution we can come up with on our own. Do you have a neighbor who's just a thorn in your side? Do you have a coworker who always gets on your last nerve and you're waiting for relief from this constant problem? What if God's solution is using you to bring salvation to them instead of just silencing the problem? What if God's answer is so much bigger than you could ever dream? God's salvation is worth waiting for. Which leads us to our third point. Listen to God's invitation for you to wait for him. He's inviting you, whatever space you're in, to wait for him. Listen to that invitation. So when you're in this season of waiting, think about this. Instead of asking, are we there yet? Ask God, what do you want to form in me while I wait? Waiting with an attitude of trust is one of the ways that God forms us the most. Anna and Simeon are old. They've been waiting for a lifetime, but their character shows that what all the things that God has done in them as they wait. 
So Luke wrote a sequel to his gospel. It's called the book of Acts. And not only does Luke open his gospel with a story of people waiting for Jesus, but he also opens the book of Acts with a story of people waiting for Jesus. Listen to what Luke says in Acts 1.4. He says, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So Jesus has resurrected, and he's getting ready to send his apostles out on mission. And what's the first thing he tells them to do? To wait. He could have sent the Holy Spirit immediately, but he wants to form something in them first. So they wait. Then the story continues a few verses later, Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Lord, are we there yet? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The apostles come to Jesus. They say, are we there yet? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know if we're there yet. Try that with your kids in the car next time. (laughs) It's not for you to know if we're there yet or not. But that's what Jesus says to his apostles. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants them to be formed as they're waiting. So what do they do? They gather and pray. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes on them. So when you're in a season of waiting, don't ask, are we there yet? Ask, Lord, what do you want to form in me as I wait? But we need some help for this, don't we? I know that I do. It's hard to wait. And so we need to make sure that our posture is right as we wait. So remember, here's the main point. Because of Jesus, you can wait with faith. I don't think Luke is just propping up Anna and Simeon up for us and saying, try harder, be like them. Luke is giving us Jesus and saying, because of Jesus, you can wait in faith because that's why Anna and Simeon waited in faith. Simeon says to Luke in Luke 2.30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon needs salvation too. Anna needs salvation too. And they're waiting for that from God. Simeon doesn't know how it's all going to get worked out. And he's looking at this baby born into a poor family. He doesn't know how this little baby is going to bring salvation, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But he sees that God's salvation is in the person of Jesus. And that's enough for him. Friends, we've seen Jesus too. We haven't seen him physically, but we've seen him through our spiritual eyes in the word. We've seen him through the eyes of faith. We've seen him in the face of a brother and sister in the church. We have seen Jesus, so this too can be our prayer. We can say with Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation. And here's the thing. If you know that in the end, it's gonna work out. If you know that in the end, you've already seen your salvation, That's the very thing that gives you confidence to wait. That's the thing that spurs you on to wait and to push aside those spiritual counterfeits for one more day. When I was running up Curahee, if I had known that I had the physical strength to get to the top, I had it. 
I just was weary in persevering. But if I had known I I would have the strength, that would have pushed me on to finish. I I didn't know that at the time, but because of what I saw later on, I knew that I had the strength at that moment. That's why it was so disappointing. But that's what God does in letting us see Jesus. Because we've seen Jesus, we know how it's going to end. We know that we're going to get there in the end. So we can be patient and let God form things in us as we wait. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The very act of waiting for the Lord is what gives you strength. Not because of something that you do, but because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you stop trying in your own strength and you wait for the Lord, that is how the Holy Spirit strengthens you to give you the strength that you need. So I want to close this morning just with one point of application. So Simeon's prayer by the church for thousands of years has been called the Nunc Dimittis. It's kind of an interesting name. It's just from Latin, the first two words of the, of the prayer in Latin, the Nunc Dimittis. But from the fourth century on in the history of the church, people have been using Simeon's prayer as an evening prayer liturgy, which means for thousands of years, Christians have been praying Simeon's prayer before they go to bed at night. Let's listen to it one more time. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Every time you sleep, it's an opportunity for you to have this kind of faith in waiting. It may sound strange, but every time you sleep, it's a microcosm of entrusting your whole soul to the Lord. Sleeping is one of the most helpless postures in life because you're unconscious. When you sleep tonight, maybe your to-do list is still very long, or maybe your anxiety is still very high. But each night before you sleep, this is an opportunity for you to express faith in waiting waiting for the Lord. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always working on your behalf. So give this a try. I challenge you to pray this prayer every night this week before you go to sleep as an act of faith. You can let it be a way of reminding yourself that your trust is in God's salvation, not in your own works. Or find some kind of liturgy like that where every day you are speaking your faith to God, saying, Lord, I'm waiting here for you. I'm waiting for you. Would you come and form and shape things in me as I'm waiting? I challenge you to do that and see what the Holy Spirit does this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not only sent your son Jesus but you have also revealed your salvation in the person of your son, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would give us strength through your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to turn aside from these counterfeit gods, that you would let us see with the eyes of faith, let us 
look to you as our help. Let us look to you as our strength. And as we wait, let us rise up with wings of eagles from your spirit, knowing that you have given us strength to carry on. Would you form those things in us now? In Jesus' name, amen.